The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Dear friends, we welcome you here to this ordered service of worship here in the nave of Marsh Chapel, whether you are present here with us or listening live on WBUR 90.9 FM or on the internet at WBUR.org or podcast later at bu.edu slash chapel. A particularly warm welcome this morning to those who may be listening for the first time from the Cape by virtue of WBUR's new antenna in Easton. My name is Brother Larry Whitney. I have the privilege of serving as University Chaplain for Community Life here at Marsh Chapel. I bear greetings on behalf of our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, as he is away this week. He looks forward to joining us again next Sunday. I'm grateful for the leadership this morning of the Reverend Brittany Longsdorf and Miss Jessica Chica, along with the, choir, the Marsh Chapel Choir under the direction of Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God.
Let us pray. O God, you have prepared for those who love you such good things as surpass our understanding. Pour into our hearts such love towards you that we, loving you in all things and above all things, may obtain your promises, which exceed all that we can desire. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. We invite you this morning to join with us in singing our Kyrie as we confess our sins before God and one another this morning. Dearly beloved, if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 17, verses 22 through 31. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God, perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Even some of you, your own poets, have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has, a, he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all.
by raising him from the dead. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the first epistle of Peter, chapter 3, verses 13 through 22. Now who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated, but in your hearts sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear, so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if suffering should be God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism 
which is prefigured, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. The word of the Lord. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 66 with the antiphon. Bless, O God, O peoples, let the sound of God's praise be heard, who has kept us among the living, and not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our loins. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought forth to a spacious place. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fatlings with the smoke of sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear, all you who worship God, and I will tell what God has done for me. I cried aloud to God, who is highly praised with my tongue. I, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened and has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. Glory to you, O Lord. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
Please be seated. So, here we are in Marsh Chapel with its cram-designed neo-Gothic nave, with its conic-stained glass, and its Cassavant organ. Just as we have had four deans of Marsh Chapel named Bob, apparently if you want to work on the infrastructure of the chapel, your last name must start with C. Here we are, listening to texts written nigh on two millennia ago, singing songs sung over the past five centuries, and yet inflicted with a preacher only three decades old. Here we are in a chapel dwarfed by its surrounding schools and colleges, at the heart of a great research university, in the midst of the city that Oliver Wendell Holmes cited as the hub of the solar system. Here we are, pausing for a moment of awe, groping for a touch of wonder, steeped in the richness of history and inspired by the presence of mystery. Here we are come Sunday. That's the day. Do you know why you are here? My parents and my in-laws are here because I put coming to church on their itinerary of their trip to Boston. But the rest of you are here of your own volition. You have no excuse. What are you doing here? Why have you come? What possessed you, motivated you, inspired you to either make the trek into church or to flip on your radio or to navigate to our live stream or to download our podcast, and on Memorial Day weekend, no less. Well, the reason that most people come to a major research university is that they do not know. Now, Brother Larry, you're starting to sound like that student last semester cited in The Bunyan, Boston University's satirical student newspaper. Rich girl in dining hall can't even. Just as a fictional employee in the story wonders, what can she not even? That's barely half a sentence. So too, we have to ask, they do not know what? What is it that they do not know? Well, dear friends, particularly in the case of matriculating undergraduates, the answer again is, they do not know. That is, they do not know what they do not know. Before you can learn what you want to know, first you have to learn what you want to know. At the master's level, of course, we expect you to at least have some idea of the general field out of which your questions arise. Then at the doctoral level, we expect you to have honed your question to such a narrow degree that you can write in a dissertation entitled something like, the use of the conjunction and in the essays of Ralph Waldo Emerson written between May 1st and May 17th, 1841. They're funny, they think I'm kidding. <laughs> of course, the greatest accomplishment of a PhD is learning exactly how much it is that you do not know. Why would you go to a university if you already know? 
Libraries are places where knowledge is stored. Universities are places where knowledge is pursued. And here's the thing. Churches at their best are more like universities than they are like libraries. That is, church should be a place we come to pursue God, not a place where God is packed away in storage. In the life of the church, God is the great unknown for whom, as Paul says in our reading today from the Acts of the Apostles, we would search and perhaps grope and find. Paul identifies the God of Christ with the unknown God of the Athenians. Then, rather than presenting knowledge about their unknown God, Paul goes on to, a further, on to further affirm God's unknowability. God is not like things we can know, like images made of gold or of silver or of stone, formed by the art and imagination of mortals. Rather than knowledge, Paul presents a paradox. God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth. And yet, God is not far from each one of us. God is transcendent and imminent. God is aloof and intimate. This is why we have come. More, this is why we were made to be struck by awe, to be transformed in wonder, to emerge from history into the heart of mystery. We are travelers on a journey, not dwellers in a homestead. We are learning, we are traveling, we are growing. Here on Sunday and day by day in the classroom and the laboratory and the field site, we learn to love what we do not know. We learn to love what we do not understand. We learn to love God. God is here. And we, your people, meet to offer praise and prayer. May we find in fuller measure what it is in Christ we share. Here, as in the world around us, all our varied skills and arts wait the coming of the Spirit into open minds and hearts. On this Memorial Day weekend, I remember my childhood friend, Marion McCrane. Now, Marion was my childhood friend because she was my friend when I was a child, even though Marion herself was of an age to be my grandmother. She and her sister Edna lived across the street from us, and my brother and I would go over to spend time with them, to hear their stories, to explore the antique artifacts of their childhood and family, to pet their three dogs and two cats, and to help care for the flora that proliferated under their deliberate care and guidance in both front and backyards. Marion died this past fall, and I had the privilege of presiding at her funeral. In preparation to lay Marion to rest, I found this story in Bernard Livingston's book, Zoo, Animals, People, Places. 
One of the more interesting examples of skillful simulation of motherhood for a zoo animal was the experience of Marion McCrane in hand-rearing a two-toed sloth born at the National Zoo. The two-toed sloth is a nocturnal creature that spends practically its whole life eating, sleeping, traveling, suspended upside down in the trees by its limbs. The infant lies on the mother's abdomen as she lethargically moves about the forest. Miss McCrane, as a zoologist on the national staff, had hand-reared everything from monkeys to snakes, but as far as they knew, nobody had ever hand-reared a two-toed sloth before. Mr. McCrane was equal to the challenge. After experimenting with a number of techniques that did not quite work, she managed to succeed in simulating the precise position that an infant sloth assumes while nursing in his upside-down world. And a bottle of half-strength evaporated milk did the trick for little Mary Jane. Miss McCrane solved the maternal contact problem by housing Mary Jane in a strong basket packed with towels, blankets, hot water bottles, and a muff to which the infant clung as a substitute for her mother's abdomen. The waking nocturnal hours were filled in with feeding and a bit of clinging to Miss McCrane herself. Can there be any experience of greater awe and wonder than that of mothering love? Here was Marion, living out the history of her own experience and into the mystery of mothering this small, vulnerable creature in love. As Jesus said, Marion lived. I will not leave you orphaned. For Paul, we do not know God, and yet God, in God we live and move and have our being. God is not far from each one of us. We do not know God, but we feel God. We encounter the mystery of God in our bodies. Awe and wonder are not thought, they are felt. We feel God in the quickening of the heart, in the shortness of breath the fleeting failure of words and concepts. It was the great Protestant theologian and grandfather of liberal theology, Friedrich Schleiermacher, who said that religion is the feeling of absolute dependence. We do not know, but we feel ourselves dependent on God for our very being and the world in which we live and move. We do not know God, but we feel God and we desire God. Jesus, speaking in the voice of John the Evangelist, does use the language of knowledge to describe our relationship with the Advocate, the Spirit of Truth. But is this the knowledge of facts or the knowledge of lovers? Well, apparently we will know the Spirit because the Spirit abides with us and will be in us. This hardly seems like knowledge acquired by pure reason. Rather, this is the language of eros, of desire, of embodied feeling. On that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. 
To be sure, erotic language in relation to God is dangerous. There is a reason that our Jewish brothers and sisters prohibit reading the Song of Solomon until you are both married and have passed your 30th year. Nonetheless, what other language could express the intimacy that is the embodied feeling of God other than the language of desire between lovers or the image of the loving and nurturing parent? I go and I will come to you and your heart shall rejoice. We know in that we feel in our bodies the love of the unknown God in the intimate presence of the Spirit. O Comforter, draw near, within my heart appear, and kindle it, thy holy flame bestowing. O let it freely burn, till earthly passions turn to dust and ashes in its heat consuming. And so the yearning strong, with which the soul will long, shall far outpass the power of human telling. And yet, suffering persists. Our feeling the glory and love of God, while it may transform suffering, does not overcome it. The resurrection follows, but does not replace the cross. The cross proceeds, but does not overshadow the resurrection. The advocate, the comforter, the spirit of truth, accompanies us on the journey of life and faith into the never-ending depths of divine unknowability, but cannot walk the path for us. On this Memorial Day weekend, we remember too many who have endured suffering and death as a result of human failure. Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. In the end, these seven deadly sins are our human succumbing to fear. Lust is the fear of solitude, gluttony the fear of hunger, greed the fear of poverty, Sloth, the fear of being overwhelmed, no offense to Mary Jane. Wrath, the fear of reconciliation. Envy, the fear of being enough. And pride, the fear of being wrong. Alas, these sins are all too often most deadly to those who surround those who commit them. In March, Bishop Elias Tumay, Greek Orthodox Bishop of the Valley of the Christians in Syria, gave the keynote address at the annual Costas Consultation on Global Mission, hosted by the Boston Theological Institute. He spoke of the suffering of Christians in Syria in the midst of the suffering of the Syrian people generally. He reminded us that Christianity was, in a sense, born in Syria with Paul's conversion to the road, on the road to Damascus. He wonders whether Christianity will now die in Syria. Bishop Elias told the story of facilitating a prisoner exchange between the military and the rebel forces, in which some of his congregants were caught in the middle. At the end, he said, 
Being a bishop is not about going to parties and presiding at ceremonies. Being a bishop is about being ready at a moment's notice to lay down your life for your people. But if you suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. Abide, then, in the love of the unknowable God. Feel the flaming desire of the Spirit in your heart, in your gut, in your spirit. And even in the midst of suffering, keep the commandments of Christ, whom God has appointed to judge the world in righteousness. Amen. come now to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and to lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude of prayer and posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord.
prompt for today's inter intercessory prayer will be God in your mercy, and the response, hear our prayer. O oh God, your son remained with his disciples after his resurrection, teaching them to love all people as neighbors. As his disciples in this age, we offer our prayers on behalf of the universe in which we are privileged to live and our neighbors with whom we share it. Invigorate the varied ministries in your church and encourage new avenues of praying and proclaiming, nurturing and loving, and teaching the good news to all in need of receiving it. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Nourish the vital web that connects all of creation and open in us occasions for reflection and rejuvenation, recognizing our neighbors in creation. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Intercede where justice and peace are lacking and raise up wise leaders who will regard the needs of all people, extending your loving care. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Assure the restless and those seeking answers. Re relieve the suffering of all who need healing or resolution. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Accompany all who travel and are far from home and help us to welcome the visitors among us and learn from them what they have to offer. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. On this Memorial Day weekend, help us to remember those who have given their lives in service to our nation, as well as their friends and family. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Open our hearts to your power moving around us and between us and within us until your glory is revealed in our love of both friend and enemy, in communities transformed by justice and compassion, and in the healing of all that is broken. Amen. And now, with the confidence of the children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Peace of God be with you. 
We welcome you warmly to this nave this morning in this sacred space when it's finally summer outside in Boston. We hope that wherever you are on your spiritual or religious journey, that you will find a home in Marsh Chapel. We'd love to get you more connected to us and get you more connected to each other. And a way to help us do that is by putting your contact information and your name in the red books towards the center aisle of your pew. Please pass those along. We're amidst the Boston University summer, but we still have events buzzing in Marsh Chapel. Feel free to check the website for weekly um, schedule updates as well as an opportunity for online giving. Next Sunday, there will be a potluck following church, so be sure to be present for that, and feel free to bring a dish to pass. Our summer preacher series, The Gospel and Emerging Adulthood, will kick off on June 22nd with our guest preacher, Reverend Dr. Robin Olson. Now, as we beckon the ushers forward, let us remember that it is a grace and a joy to give, so please won't you be as generous as you are able.
thanks, O God, this day for life and work in peace. Now bless these gifts and those who have given them to the work of ministry in this place and throughout the world. Amen. Dearly beloved, on this Memorial Day weekend, let us remember that life is short, and we do not have too much time to gladden the hearts of those who walk the way with us. So be swift to love, and make haste to be kind. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit abide and remain with you, now and always. Amen.